So last week we did the, the first part, verses 1 to 7. Now we do the second half of the chapter. Now, when faced with a, a tragedy in life, most will ask the question, where was God in all of this? Why did he allow it to happen? This is irrespective of whether it was their own suffering or someone else's. Like some Psalms, it might be a genuine question coming from a perspective of faith. However, more often than not, it comes from a detached philosophical standpoint. It happens when we look at the tragedy of others and use their terrible circumstances as an excuse to support our own position of doubt or unbelief even. For example, how can there be a God who allowed uh, those good Christians who were just, you know, that were buried last week to die in a car accident around Lithgow? How could God, if they were Christians, if they were believers, how could God allow that to happen? Like, hold that thought. Last week we had a look at, at the first part of this great chapter written by the great prophet Isaiah some 2,700 years ago. His words were given by God to proclaim a message of an encouragement to a people who had been exiled from their promised land, taken away. These people now felt abandoned by God and, and did not think that God actually cared any more about them, about their plight. Yet Isaiah's words are a reminder that God indeed is still God and that he still cares and when the time is right, when his time is right, he will do something great with them. So according to our text, the prophet who is used by God wants us to know that God's work continues and it will continue until he decides it's the end. So in the meantime, his work continues First of all, according to God's thoughts and God's ways, verses 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now I'm sure that the people who were listening to the prophet would have been thinking, I can't understand that if, 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 if we are God's chosen people, the Israelites, why are we suffering so much? Surely an, an, an obvious benefit of being chosen would be the relief of pain, prosperity, blessings, everybody can see. But world history will tell you that God's people have suffered more than most. For us maybe it doesn't make sense that a supposedly loving God will punish his own people this way. But through the prophet Amos, God declared in Amos chapter 3 verse 2, God says, 
You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. You only, people of Israel, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your sins. What? How does that make sense? No, let's do that again, Amos. Therefore, I will bless you. No, it doesn't say that. It says, I will punish you for all your sins. In Hebrews, we read that God punishes, you know, God disciplines the children he loves. It's part of the way that God works. And unlike our politicians... God doesn't have to look at the latest polls to check, to check on his popularity. He, he continues to have his own thoughts, his own plans. And his thoughts and plans are not just left as wishful thoughts and ideas that might or might not come to be. They are enacted upon, executed according to his, his wisdom, according to his perfect will. For this reason, God declares through the prophet, neither are your ways my ways. So if you thought that you've got God figured out, you have no idea. We do get a little bit of an idea. We do get a glimpse through the scriptures. But there is no way that you will understand all that God is, is way beyond. This is what the prophet's saying. So while we might huff and puff about this truth, it should also be a relief for us. We question God for so many of the things that happen, but we do so from a very limited vantage point. And this vantage point of ours is limited by our own human understanding and, and knowledge. At times it is limited by our own selfish motives. I've been good. Why has this happened to me? It is also limited by our own, to our own experiences and those of, of our family, those who are close to us. But God sees it from a totally different perspective. For this reason, our perspective from God's perspective, there is this very wide gulf, a huge distance as far as the heavens are from the earth. Pastor William E. Sangster he told of an experience from his youth, when, in his younger days, when he went on a vacation with some friends. Within a short time he had spent all his money and he was short of funds. So he wrote home for more. And his father, thinking that he should teach his young son a lesson on the value of money, did not respond to the request. And Sangster's friends and companions wondered why he had been turned down and suggested and offered different reasons. But young William responded to them, I'll wait till I get home 
and he'll tell me himself. Isn't that the type of attitude that we should have when we don't understand why there's no answer to our requests, even our prayers? Seemingly, it seems that our Father has ignored us. Not so. This is exactly where our faith in our Father should blossom, should be strengthened. I might not understand it at this time, but one day I will, from a different perspective, from a different vantage point. At that time when the gulf between heaven and earth is one, when we're in his presence. Life holds many unanswered questions. And unless God chooses to reveal them to us, they shall remain unanswered until that day. But in all of this, we need to believe again and again that God is sovereign and that he works for the good of those who love him and are called by him. God's work continues, secondly, in his good time, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. It's certainly been good to see the rain come in these last few days and and weeks. I've certainly enjoyed it. I don't know about you. It seems to be filling the, the rivers and the creeks and the dams on a regular basis now. Which brings me to the illustrations that the prophet used here of the way that God does things. He uses nature as a, as a wonderful illustration of the way that God, God works. And he brings a spiritual application from a natural phenomenon that God designed. The rain and the snow are an example of his beautiful design. His handiwork is clearly visible in the cycle of the water falling from heaven, watering the plants, flowing into the rivers, running to the oceans and then evaporating back up to the heavens where the wind currents move them about across the face of the earth. When you stop and ponder this beautiful design, it is very effective, very efficient, environmentally friendly and has been functioning since the day of creation. King Solomon, he was up and down a bit and he broke the book of Ecclesiastes and in a moment of despondency, he said this, rather than marvelling Rather than marvelling at God's great design, he finds the whole thing rather tedious and somewhat boring. So he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he says, All streams flowing to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. From that verse, it clearly appears that 
at one stage in his life, he, he, because of sin, right, he, he lost his sense of awe and wonder at God's marvellous handiwork. And it, and it would be rather boring, especially if you think all your veggies, all, your, all the stuff that you like to eat, all of those things just simply grow in a cool room at Woolies and Coles. We can grow all that. They're even saying now that meat, they've got 3D printed meat that they'll be make available. Artificial meat. It looks like meat. Yeah. And they'll be selling that very soon. Just wait for it. Trying to improve on what God has made. Trying to have, we're trying to have control over nature. And so, if you take away God and you say, this is just this natural phenomenon, that we are part of this bigger thing. Well, things are different if you're a farmer. We come to the issue of perspective. Hard to make an intelligent argument if you are not really understanding the process and why it is happening. This is how God chooses to bring food to our tables. A process that begins with the rain and the snow takes months and years before it becomes fruit and grain and meat that we enjoy. That certainly is a long way around to get food to our table, right? If he desired to do it faster, he could... I mean, he did. That's what happened in the wilderness. The Israelites just woke up every morning and there it was. Manna. Manna from heaven. The food of the angels. If the angels ate, that is. But there it was. And manna, the word manna actually means what is it? What is it? That's what manna actually means. So, What is it? Manna. What? What is it? Anyway. Okay, I'm glad you found it funny. Yet, God is, for the rest of us, God is not in a hurry to accomplish his plan or purpose in the world and in our lives. He's patient. Most of us are always in a hurry and we want to get things done and problems solved now. God, however, is never in a rush. We tend to set goals, especially at the beginning of the year. We set plans. We set goals and measure progress by our productivity. We come to the end of the year and how have we done? Companies set budgets and churches and maybe even you have your own personal budget. How did we do? Did we make money? Did we lose? What happened? We stand and finish a day's work and measure the success by what we achieved within that time. In a similar way, when travelling, we have a beginning point and an end point. If we are on holidays, this is where we want to go, this is the place we want to visit. Our starting point, our point of arrival. It's because we have this performance mindset, this achievement mindset. 
But time and space doesn't restrict God. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. And he's also not just concerned about the the end, the arrival, the point, the place we want to get to, but he's also concerned about the journey and the things that we can enjoy along the way. And perhaps that's even more important than just the destination. God wants us to draw from his presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, to to eat from him, from his hands, resting in his ability to take us to the destination. God's work continues, verse 11, through his powerful word. God's work continues through his powerful word. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The New Living Translation has it like this. It is the same with my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. Simply put, God's words accomplish God's purposes. Unlike our words, which are often empty, faultless or lacking in substance or purpose, God's words are different. Because his words have power, they have purpose. What else can we say about God's words? God's word. It communicates his will. It communicates his will. This is exactly what the Bible is all about. It is the record of God's word to us. It tells us how we began, where we went wrong, what God has done, the way we are to live and where we are going to end up. Even when we have done wrong, his word has been given. This means that his word does not return empty. Even if you reject it, if you you don't want to listen to it, his word does not return empty. Many times we try and talk to someone about the gospel and the response is, ho-hum, you know, trying to talk to your son and says, no, don't talk to me, Dad, I don't want to talk about it. We can get discouraged, you know. It seems like our words bounce off. But irrespective of the immediate response, we still have to share it. We still have to say it. We still have to... Declare it, because if it's God's words, it will not come back empty. What else about God's words? It is powerful. The words of Genesis, which are repeated over and over again, what does it say? It says, and God said, let there be light. 
God said, let there be an expanse. Let this, let that. All accomplished through his powerful words. And the, the writer of Hebrews described Jesus in this way. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful words. When Jesus came, he was in a boat with his disciples. There was a storm. Disciples were rattled. I thought they had it. Jesus spoke and the seas were stilled. Jesus spoke and the blind could see. The dead were raised and sins forgiven, all through his powerful words. And what he does with nature, he does with us as individuals. There are so many, there are millions of examples of this. And every day, you know, through social media and articles and books that you read, you, you get a glimpse of the work of God, how he's working in the macro, in the micro, with countries, communities, families, individuals and churches. God's work continues. Here is a, a letter written to the Gideons. The Gideons are the people that place Bibles in hospitals, in hotels and motels. And here is one that was received by the Gideons. Dear Gideons, I thank God for your organisation. I was addicted to crack cocaine for eight years. My two-year-old daughter and I were living in a house owned by a crack dealer when I finally became weary, sick and tired of my life of drugs. I lost faith and hope in the human race due to all the ugly things I had experienced. I took my daughter and spent four days and nights in a motel and found your Gideon Bible. As I read the Bible, I gained the strength to say no to the drugs and make changes in my life. By the grace of God, I have become a Christian and a witness for God. I have quit using drugs and God has blessed my life so much since I turned it over to him. Thank you for making God's word available to people when they need it the most. That's God's word. What else is God's word? It is a source of nourishment. God wants us to receive him and accept his word as the ground receives the water and as the ground receives the snow which melts and turns into water. He says this to, he does this, he says this to make us grow and be productive in many ways. And it says, he says, it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Seed for the sower, bread for the eater. Well, aren't they the same? Isn't the bread made from wheat, which is a seed? Well, you might wonder then about the difference between seed and bread. You see, the bread is for today's immediate necessity, today's nourishment. Give us this day our daily bread. The seed, however, is in anticipation and you have preparation for tomorrow's need. 
you, you have a harvest and you don't sell the 100% of your harvest or you don't tell 100% of your harvest into wheat. You hold a percentage, maybe 5-10% for next year's crop because you will have need again next year. Seed and the bread, it yields both things from the hand of the giver, who is God. God's word is also incarnational. We know that God's word is powerful. We know that he had communicated to us in the past. The Bible says through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's what Hebrews says. We know his word nourishes the soul. We've just said that. We know all of this, but there is still something missing to make it complete. So God sent his own word, the incarnate word, his only begotten son to teach us, to show us, to love us, and ultimately to give himself as a perfect sacrifice for our forgiveness. John 1, 14 says... The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. So Jesus Christ is the ultimate complete fulfilment of the prophecy of Isaiah. This is why Jesus from the cross could proclaim from the cross. He was dying. He he was about to die when he said, it is finished, it is complete, my work is done. It hasn't been a waste of time. Far from it. I have done the work. I have completed the work that you sent me to do. He was saying to us that God's purpose in salvation has finally been accomplished. And finally, God's work continues in verses 12 to 13 for God's glory and the joy of his people. For God's glory and the joy of his people. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree and instead of the breeze the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. From the moment they appear in the Bible, from the moment that we as humans appear in the Bible, humans you and me, are the pinnacle of God's creation. I know that's not very popular today, but we are. Anything less than that, then you're actually depriving God of his glory in creation. Why would the creator, the creator of the universe, bother with us, little is. Why would he, insignificant us, why would he do it? What? 
because he made all of this, all of us, for his glory. He made all of creation for his glory and for us to enjoy it. That's right, you and me. We're given all of this, all of nature, to work it and to look after it. This is very different to thinking that uh, Mother Earth is all there is and we are simply playing our insignificant part. In fact, let us get rid of all the humans so that nature can once again flourish. Most pagan religions worship that which God has created, like the sun and the moon, the rivers, the mountains, the trees. Yet here in this beautiful imagery, the the mountains and the hills, they burst into song. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Isn't that what Julie Andrews sang? But not only the hills, but also the trees are clapping their hands. And some of them are probably thinking, you know, what is God saying about trees clapping their hands? That's a bit of an exaggeration. Well, it's, it's, it's poetic language, guys. Trees have no hands, it's poetic language. But if you ever walk through the bush, the forest, and there's a bit of a, a wind picking up and whatever, then I'll tell you what, you're hearing a lot of noises. It's a beautiful metaphor for the excitement of people as they are creation is actually standing in awe, saluting God's people as they are being led back home. All of creation. We are not to worship creation. In fact, creation is here for you and me, for God's glory. A total reversal of the way that these people were led out of the promised land but now God's people are being led back and the whole of creation stands in a guard of honour as God the King leads his people back. These words are actually echoed in Romans chapter, chapter 8 chapter 8 verse 19 where the Apostle Paul says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, all of creation, all of creation waiting for that day. So if you think that God doesn't care, think again. If you thought that God has abandoned this world, think again. You might be going through a hard and tough situation today. The good news is that God can use those circumstances for his glory our maturity and growth. If he can change the landscape of the desert and make it beautiful, he can take, he can certainly take an ugly life and make it beautiful as well, just as he did with that letter that we read from that lady who was in crack. Isn't it great to know that God is is not like you and me? I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the fact that his wisdom is perfect. I don't need somebody else like me who tells me what I want to hear. I need a saviour. I need guidance. I need strength for each and every day. All the things that God provides. 
Yes, God's work continues in our world. His best work, apart from the beautiful mountains, the beautiful universe that we're still discovering, His best work is done in individual lives who are transformed into His likeness. That's His best work. So let me conclude with the words of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians and to us. Sorry, to the Philippians. And he says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. And that's from the New Living Translation. God will continue his work until the day when he calls us home or the day when he returns. And all the glory go to him. Amen.